You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back. Late Kick Extra podcast. This is probably Tuesday morning, October 20th, wherever you are listening. Happy you are listening. Please give us a five-star review if you haven't already. Some people asking, by the way, why do you say we instead of I? I'll get to that in just a second. But we would love, we, all caps, W-E, would love a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you're not listening on Apple, hey, just um, just take a piece of paper, take a pen, and draw five stars on that piece of paper, and then just walk outside and toss it up into the air and close your eyes, and that is your five-star review for us. It still means a lot sentimentally, but algorithmically, it means a lot on Apple. So thank you so much. We do these mailbags two times a week on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, and we get to as many questions as we can in a certain amount of time. And I want to, again, reiterate, we're doing great numbers. I thank you so much for that here in the podcast section, also over on 24-7 Sports YouTube. And keep in mind, for you guys in Big Ten country, hey, your season's about to start. I don't know if someone told you, but your season's about to start. So we got a lot more Big Ten content coming up. So if you haven't already, like I talk about sometimes, if you're one of the few remaining holdouts, just go ahead, hit subscribe. It's free. It doesn't cost anything. And we thank you so much for it. And it makes us look good. It makes us look like we're stumbling into doing something right And hey, that's always a fun feeling. So let's dive into this. We've got a ton of questions. I want to get to as many of them as possible. Uh, As I I tell you before, I don't write this. You guys write it. That's the beauty slash horror sometimes of this podcast. It is all you. So these are your questions. Let's go. Emmett starts up. He said, my buddies and I were talking while watching a game last night. And someone said, imagine how much better Georgia would be in this game against Alabama would be if they had Justin Fields. Now, obviously, it's a fantasy world. We can never know. But what would these past two years have looked like? What would have changed if Justin Fields would have stayed at Georgia, in your opinion? So let's reset this, because I think sometimes the habit people have is use the here and now to judge a decision. So the here and now is Justin Fields, obviously, for those unfamiliar, has gone on to be a great quarterback at Ohio State. He's a Heisman frontrunner this year, going to end up being a top 10, probably NFL draft pick. And so he's a superstar. He didn't commit to Ohio State. He committed to Georgia. He's from Georgia. And so originally looked like it was going to be Fields at Georgia. And all of a sudden, Georgia had their star quarterback of the future. He ends up not beating out Jake Fromm in the eyes of that coaching staff and that coaching staff being led by Kirby Smart. And so he transfers. Okay, now we see how that turned out. What I always caution people to think about at the time is you didn't know what you know now. So you're never armed with hindsight when you make a decision, if you're firing someone, for instance, or if you're if you're breaking up with a girl and she's going to go on to be Miss America, but you know at the time she's a train wreck, you 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 have no way of knowing she's going to go on to be Miss America. Like you you broke up with her because she was a train wreck. That's all the information you had to go on. I'm not telling you Justin Fields was a train wreck. I am telling you he's gone on to be Miss America. But what I'm saying is you don't know at the time what Kirby Smart and that staff knew. I can assure you of this. Smart's been around the game a long time. I can assure you, if he thought in his heart Justin Fields gives this team the best chance to win, he's putting Justin Fields in the game because he wants the best chance to win. People don't do experiments with their careers here. Like they're they're playing the guy they think gives them the best chance. You can we can argue until we're blue in the face. We may never really know why he didn't make this move and what went into it. But the bottom line is he didn't. 
Okay, now, having said that, here's the second part of this equation. You ask, what would have happened if Fields stays at, uh, at Georgia? You also can't make the assumption that Fields would have become at Georgia what he has become at Ohio State. Ohio State has been pumping out quarterbacks. Uh, that, that has been sort of this new cradle of quarterbacks. They got so many good ones up there, they can't play them all. Some guys transfer from there and go win Heismans, i.e. Joe Burrow. So that's how good they've been at evaluating talent, developing talent, and then playing it right and surrounding it with other talent. It's That's that's Ohio State. That has not been Georgia. Georgia's been good at a lot of things. Uh, developing star quarterbacks in-house lately has not been one of those things. So I don't know that Justin Fields would have been at Georgia, what he ended up being. Maybe he would have. He certainly would have had the talent no matter where he went, but I don't know that he would have been developed there. Uh, but be that as it may, as we stand here now, this question is so glaring only because Georgia hasn't gotten quarterback figured out. If, uh, for instance, Jamie Newman would have stayed and been a star, nobody would have been talking about Justin Fields right now. Even if JT Daniels would have come in healthy and would have taken the job by the throat and they beat Alabama 41-24 Saturday instead of the other way around, no one would be talking about it. This is still a matter because Georgia hasn't figured out quarterback yet. And that's why a lot of people's eyes now turn to JT Daniels. Is he going to be healthy? When's he going to be healthy? If not him... This big UPS truck goes by outside. If not him, then, well, Brock Vandergrift. That's our five-star quarterback committed. He's the guy of the future. How soon is he going to be ready when he gets on campus? These are always fun questions, aren't they? But I don't, I don't really know that there is an answer to the Fields question. I've heard it a million times. I know we talk about it a lot. I just don't know that there is an answer. I got one more on the Georgia-Bama game. It was obviously a big one this past week. Adam says, I was watching the game. I think Georgia's offense was the main reason their defense was so bad. Alabama had 21 points off turnovers. Georgia had almost no time of possession in the second half. Do you think Georgia could have won the game if their offense stayed clean? Well, yeah, of course I do. But, I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into how Alabama forced the issue there. Let's make no mistake about it. Our entire take on Georgia, I've, I've got to remember, I'm going to tell you why I say we in a second. I, my entire take and our entire take on Georgia this entire time, and Stetson Bennett for that matter, has been... He's cool, man. You can ride him against Auburn. You can ride him against Tennessee because the whole point is you're not riding him. You're riding a run game and you're riding that defense. And we've talked on Late Kick Live ad nauseum at this point about the freeze point. The freeze point simply being a threshold that as long as your opposition stays above, uh, you don't have to worry. But once they get below that freeze point, in other words, once they're good enough to expose you, then things quickly go downhill. And Georgia's defense the fact of the matter is there are not a lot of offenses in America capable of hitting the freeze point. I always make it metaphorically comparative to, you know, two cups of water. I've got a cup of water in 38 degree temperatures and I got a cup of water in 33 degree temperatures. Doesn't matter. They're both going to stay liquid. Neither one of them is going to freeze. But if I got one in 33 and another one in 31, even though the gap's much smaller between those two relative to the previous comparison, all of a sudden the one in the 31 degree conditions is going to freeze. It's going to take a while, but it's going to freeze. The one in 33 remains liquid. Why? Because we crossed the freeze point, which is 32, a little above 32 Fahrenheit. Well, the point is, Georgia hadn't faced anyone below 32 degrees yet. They hadn't faced anyone below that freeze point. Alabama, not only were they below the freeze point, they're down in like the upper teens, low 20s. So not only are they capable of freezing or running the score up on you, as it were, they're capable of doing it quick. And if that's the case, you can still beat them. The problem is you got to be able to do that too. And Georgia's offense does not meet that. They don't meet it. And they won't with Bennett at quarterback. That's why so many people are up in arms there right now. 
because they're worried they're going to waste this defense by not having a competent enough offense. Like I say enough because I got to be careful. Georgia's good enough to win uh, eight or nine games maybe on the regular season schedule. That's not what the goal is there. The goal is to beat Bama. It's to win the SEC. It's to go win a national championship. And to do that, you got to clear that Bama hurdle, that Clemson hurdle, that Ohio State hurdle, maybe all in the same year, guys. So uh, that is why they are so up in arms there. So yeah, sure. If they would have had their offensive, you know what, together, yes, sure, they would have been able to win. How do they do that? Realistically, how do they do that with the personnel they have right now? I don't think they do. Next up is Noah. It was a really sneaky good week in the SEC. So I'm going to read Noah's question in just a second. Now, before I forget, I've kicked the can down the road twice already in this podcast. So a lot of you have noticed this. A lot of you keep asking me, hey, how come you keep saying we? You don't have a co-host. That's true. That's true. But there are several people who work behind the scenes here. For instance, on Late Kick Live, let me just lay out our operation for you. Take like 30 seconds. Our operation is when we do a Sunday night or Tuesday night or Thursday night show, uh, it is is me. I, I'm the executive producer of that. I put the entire thing together. I host it. But Colin is behind the scenes. Director Colin is behind the scenes and he's assembling all the elements. Obviously, he directs the show or calls the show, punches the show, as we like to say, live. Well, then that entire product in an audio form gets handed off to either Jordan or Tani in a file share and we go to sleep and they go to work and they get the podcast version ready for you the next morning. And I say we, because I could sit here and talk into this microphone all day long. If they're not there, you wouldn't know who I am. And so it is a, we sort of deal. I look at this as a collective, as a team, because they trust me, make me sound a lot better than I sound, make me look a lot better than I look. And it's a chore. If you've ever been around me, I mean, that's a chore. So Listen, I don't even know how much they're making. I just know they need a raise. That's all I know. I would advocate for them to get a raise no matter what. And me too. Let's move on. Let's move on, shall we? Uh, I would I would do this pro bono. So we got a third question here, as I said, from Noah. He said, now that South Carolina has played four games, how would you evaluate Mike Bobo and Colin Hill and Kevin Harris? Let's go in reverse order here. Kevin Harris is a running back that did some good work for him against Auburn. Uh, he's a guy who has really surprising ability after contact. I think his yards after contact rate probably has surprised them a little bit, probably surprised Carolina fans. Uh, so so he was a pleasant surprise, has been rather, because they lost Marshawn Lloyd, who they thought, outside of maybe Jordan Birch, was going to be their biggest freshman impact player, and he's out. Well, Kevin Harris has stepped in and given him some quality carries. Colin Hill's the quarterback that came in via the transfer route who played with Mike Bobo at Colorado State, obviously. Listen, Mike Bobo knows what their limitations are there. They they have a bad wide receiver group. Uh, they're just not bad people. They're just below par. I mean, they're well below average by SEC standards. They don't have game breakers. They don't have um, top poppers. They don't have whatever axioms you want to use to describe an elite wide receiver unit. They lack it. So here's what they do have. They got the ability to do what they did against Auburn. I call it the spider web theory. What you have to do is you have to build the web. Kentucky is phenomenal at this. Kentucky did this against Tennessee, for that matter. You got to build the spider web. Now, you're not good enough to go roster for roster with these teams, but you're good enough to be on the field with them. And what you do is you build the web and then you let them walk into it. Think about walking around somewhere at night. When you walk into a spider web, what do you do? Just pull it off of you? Of course not. It stays on you. You, you got to pick it out of your hair for 10 minutes. That is what Carolina did to Auburn Saturday. They kept paper cutting, paper cutting, paper cutting in the run game. They were bullheaded. They were stubborn. They kept doing it. And they understood just like Kentucky did. They understood whether it's Bo Nix at Auburn or whether it's Jared Garantano at Tennessee, 
we just build the spider web and you watch them. They'll walk right into it. They'll turn the ball over. They'll give us the ball. Well, sure enough, Jared Garantano did that. And sure enough, Bo Nix did that. And Carolina scored and Kentucky scored off those turnovers and set up great field position. And so you had two spiderweb theories in play in the SEC Saturday. And Mike Bobo, for example, now more and more as every week goes by, they're limited personnel-wise, but you start to see maybe that I word in Columbia, dare I say it? It's been a while. The identity of the South Carolina offense? They're using a fullback up there, by the way. How about that? Fullbacks in play. So you got spider webs and fullbacks. Happy Halloween. We're approaching it, and we may be approaching Carolina salvaging their season, which was very much on the rocks just uh, one short week ago when they went into Vanderbilt in what I thought was must-win mode. Well, hey, when you're in a must-win situation and you win, you buy yourself some time. And the more time you buy yourself, you never know what could happen. All right, next up here, uh, PSU for Life in the podcast review section. Leave us one of those, by the way, and you can ask a question as part of your written review, and I'll answer it like I'm about to do here. What is your favorite non-sports podcast? I love what uh, what old Conrad Thompson does, a lot of pro wrestling stuff. I can't stand the current pro wrestling product. I've talked about that many times. I would much rather watch Grass Grow than watch what is called pro wrestling these days. However, I loved it back when I was a little bit younger. And so age has nothing to do with it. If there was a quality product on today, I'd watch it gladly and wouldn't apologize for it. There isn't. So I'm forced you know, pulling out old VHSs or using my buddy's login information to log into WWE Network. And that's what I do. But uh, it is a very genius and simple format that they figured out, whether it's the the Bruce Pritchard one or the Jim Ross one or the, even the Tony Schiavone one, Eric Bischoff. And these are great to listen to when you're on car rides, by the way. All it is, is you pick a topic from back in the day and you cover it for three hours and you dissect it from every angle. Maybe it's uh, a year in time, maybe it's an event, maybe it is a person that you talk about and you do kind of an expose on them. I love listening to that. I've spent embarrassing amounts of time listening to the various podcasts that those guys do. So they do a really good job there. I think Jordan actually on our podcast side, I think he does some work with them. So there you go. Six degrees of, or one degree of in that case. Next up is uh, a lot of you asked this. So I'll just Anyone who asked the Big Ten question, let's kind of summarize it like this because we're going to do a lot more Big Ten stuff this week on the YouTube channel, 24-7 Sports YouTube, by the way. Subscribe to it. It's the hottest thing out there right now. Hot. Now, as you know, as you've looked at the calendar, it is now Big Ten football season. Finally, oh, the old mid-October Big Ten season openers. Yeah, we got them. And we got questions about the Big Ten, and I'm going to roll them all into a ball, and I'm going to go a bunch of different directions with these, and we'll do that right after the break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Uh, you guys asked about the Big Ten. So let me word this carefully. This is Ohio State's world. I don't think many people disagree with that. So let's say things play out as it appears they will. Let's say Ohio State is everything we think they are. They almost belong in a separate conversation. But what I think we need to avoid doing is avoid entrapping ourselves into this notion that all that matters is who wins the conference or all that matters is who's power rated number one, who's got a shot at the playoff, and that's it. And that goes into another question I'm about to be asked in a second about the playoff itself. But as it relates to the Big Ten, we were talking about this in one of our uh, editorial meetings a couple of days ago. Um, we were t- Since it's election season, we use the term down-balloting. Well, how about college football down-balloting? A lot of folks, I am very guilty of this, so I include myself in some folks. A lot of folks, or some folks, get themselves into the trap of thinking, well, if it's not relevant to the playoff, it's not relevant. And that's a poison for college football. Like I said, I'm guilty of that. So uh, this is something I've been very cognizant of lately. What about the down ballot situation? What about uh, the race for even who finishes second? Who's the second best team there? But also some rivalry aspects and some program building aspects. More matters in college football than just who makes the playoff. And I think that there has to be a concerted effort. I know I'm going to be a part of it. There's got to be a concerted effort to reinvigorate the down-balloting aspects of this sport, because it matters. You know, it matters who did we think was only going to win six games in a normal year that now has a chance to win eight. Who could be playing in a New Year's Day Bowl that we thought, uh, you know, was going to be in a, a Weed Whacker Bowl somewhere before Christmas? You know, all of this stuff really matters. And uh, as great as the playoff has been, and now I'm going to merge these questions, as great as the playoff has been, I think it sort of poisoned the well a little bit of the beauty of college football. And I was talking to a buddy who does some work in this industry too last year, and he and I disagreed on something. And on the surface, I still disagree with him, but there is a lot of merit to the argument he was making. The argument he was making as I was arguing for the playoff, and he was arguing about how he wishes the playoff would just disappear and we'd go back to the old way, even the pre-BCS way, which I thought sounded crazy, but that's because I'm in my 30s and he's a little bit older. And so he lived more in that era than I did. His point was, what's the playoff done? And I said, well, it's crowned true national champions. And, you know, you can argue that, too, because some of you think in order to have a true national champion, you have to have automatic qualifiers from conference titles and whatever. The point is, there is a game called the national championship game that we have now. You didn't used to have that. He said, OK, so I'll grant you that. I watched the game just like you do. Yeah, national title. It's great to have. What does it come at the expense of? So I kind of knew where he was going, but I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, it used to mean everything when you knew at the end of the year, a rivalry game was coming up, rivalry Saturday was coming up, and maybe it was a a six and four versus uh, an eight and two or something like that. But you knew that date, just in and of itself, that game, records don't even matter. It's this thing, this game's been played 80 years, and it's so beautiful and so unique to college football. Um... The race to win a conference championship, 
is a beautiful thing. The race to finish top three in your division or top two, you know, if you're historically a bottom feeder, that's a beautiful thing. How much does that matter? How He asked me, because I host a show, obviously, he said, how much are you talking about that in November? And my answer was not a lot, not a whole lot. The bad, bad habit that I've developed, and I think some others have developed, and there's a reason for it, but we've developed is you have this elimination process in your mind, and it all ties into the playoff. And once you lose one game early in the year, okay, we knock you down to the bottom of a totem pole. If you're a P5, if you're a G5, you're just gone. But if you're a P5, you kind of go to the back of the line and you're told, hey, you lose one more game, you're out of here. And think about how much of the sport you're cutting off from being relevant come November when you have to have zero losses or one loss to be in the conversation. Well, that's that's in a way what's happened here. And it's not always the best thing. So I started talking about the Big Ten like five or 10 minutes ago. My point is, as we tie it back around to the Big Ten, I think it really matters what P.J. Fleck can do at Minnesota this year. And they start with Michigan. Like what a game, what an intriguing game that is in week one. You, you're probably not predicting either of those teams to go to the playoff. I'm not. Who cares? It's going to be a great game. I'm going to watch all four quarters of it. It's going to be phenomenal. We'll talk about it later this week. I mean, what about to tie into Wisconsin? What about the situation there with Graham Mertz? You get to see what he is at quarterback. A lot of people have thought, Jack Cohn, oh, we got our ceiling there. So let's see Graham Mertz. Well, because of injury, unfortunately, you do get your wish. Who could come out of nowhere, man? Like what, what could Illinois do or Northwestern do this year that surprises you? Indiana, always a little rumble, always a little whisper around Indiana. And there may be a little bit more than we think there'll be. And what about Penn State? You got week two against Ohio State, and that'll that'll be on the marquee for Big Ten slash playoff related implications and reasons. But outside of that, Penn State, you know, I've talked about this a lot. I kind of tie them in with Notre Dame as being programs that are very solid programs that are top 10, top 15, easily top 15. And they're waiting on that spark and that spark's probably quarterback. But at uh, Notre Dame, you know, they are who they are this year. And we've already seen them play a number of games, scored 15 against Louisville the other day at somehow or 12, I think it was. Um, so who knows there, but there is a lot of unknown with Penn State's offense. There is a lot of unknown with Kirk Soraka, who has come in as the new offensive coordinator, and they've had more time up there. Remember, you know, they were going to start same time as everyone else, but they didn't have spring like everyone else. So we initially were going to look at them and say, well, it's unreasonable to expect them to have their act together. Well, then things got delayed. And so you start adding weeks onto the beginning between when you arrived and when you got your new offensive staff in versus when you kick things off. So who's to say that maybe a little bit more of that offense isn't ingrained into the minds of your players? Now, the amount of repetition you've gotten, that hasn't changed a whole lot. But um, could they be a little bit further along is my question. Could they have an offense there that's ready to scare some people and screams at you, hey, if we get an elite quarterback married with this system, watch out for Penn State. So many things. Mel Tucker's coming into Michigan State. I have no clue what to expect there. Talked about Michigan, talked about uh, Minnesota. I mean, Jim Harbaugh, I, I, I made a lot, to be honest with you, last week when the team talent composite came out uh, and I was reading Barton's write-up on it. And he said, you know, uh, the team talent composite, if you're unfamiliar, is just the overall measure of talent on a roster by um, using your roster and then talking about what guys were rated out of high school. It's not, it's an imperfect system, but it's as close to accurate as we can probably get without having an army of scouts to just go scout every single player every day. So he uh, he said, you know, Michigan, when we started this thing back in 2015, they were number seven. They had the number seven roster in America. Now, 
five years later or six years later, they have the number 17 roster. That's a little troubling. If it were, if it were to drop to seven from seven to nine or seven to 12, that's a little bit different, but seven to 17, when you've had the same staff there, the same head coach there the whole time, well, that's not a good thing. So yeah, there's a lot I'm looking forward to in the big 12 and the big 10 rather. And we're going to talk about this a lot more later this week. So stay tuned on that. You probably didn't think that I was going to answer this, sir, when you put this in the podcast review, but you gave me a five-star review as you asked the question. So I'm answering the question. He said, man, you got me thinking about shaving my head bald. It looks like it's really comfortable. When did you start losing your hair and when did you shave your head? I believe it or not, I've just kind of always had this ever since like middle school or high school. Uh, like like the, the hairline, for example, I have right now, she's kind of always been that way. So it's not really a, a it's not really a, a deteriorating situation, shall we say. But independent of that, and let me stress this for those in the back. I don't care if I could have Brad Pitt's hair. I am cheap. I wear the same shirt to work out every day. I wear the same sweatpants to work out every day. You guys don't know it, but when we're doing Late Kick Live, I've come straight from the gym and I'm wearing those sweatpants below the desk. And for that matter, I throw on the same two or three white shirts. So my point is, I shave my head out of convenience more so than anything. It wouldn't matter what kind of hair I had. It wouldn't matter how follically challenged I was or I wasn't. Do you understand, if you, if you guys haven't lived this lifestyle, let me walk you through it. You spend zero dollars and zero cents a year on hair product. You spend zero dollars and zero cents a year other than, you know, upgrading your razor on hair care. Uh, you can use conditioner if you want to. You don't have to use shampoo only because if you don't, that makes you a degenerate. So use shampoo. But otherwise, it's free. You cut your own hair in your mirror and bathroom once a week. It takes like uh, five minutes if you want to be really careful and when you get out of the shower, here's the drying off process. Hand through hair once and boom, you're dry. Zero maintenance, zero upkeep. It is great. Now, the, of course, the logical follow-up question is, when do you take the final, final step, which is the Stone Cold Steve Austin, Scott Van Pelt look? And I don't know, only because I'm scared of what the shape of my head could be. See, I still have enough fuzz on my, on my head to where you see hair, but you don't see all scalp. But if I were to bick it, just razor, shave it completely, then I never know. Like, I think, I think I have a weird lump in the back of my head. I'm touching my head right now. It's a really good thing. No one can see me. Um, but I don't know. So we'll see to be continued there to be continued. But I, I just wanted to say, I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's my point. I know a lot of people think it's cool to say, Ooh, I don't care what people think about my appearance. Nah, look at me. I really don't check out how I dress. I really, really don't. I am the definition of what we like to call in the business, a ragamuffin. Uh, six or seven of you asked Gus Malzahn hot seat questions. So let me address this again. I don't think Malzahn's being fired. I have to think I've said this four years in a row now. I don't think he's being fired. Well, after 2017, I didn't because he had just gotten his contract extension. But this is like a every other year topic with Auburn. The buyout is huge. And I also want to take you back to just two months ago when we were in the height of the college football pandemic portion of things, which is where we didn't know if we were going to play or not. And then when we finally found out we were going to play, what did everyone say? You guys remember this? You were, you were saying it right along with everyone else. Probably he said, well, certainly even if we have a season, say it along with me, no one's going to get fired. Everyone's safe. And I told you at the time, you can say that all you want to, but it's not going to matter when the season starts. Cause you're going to realize 
everyone is dealing, relatively speaking, with the same set of obstacles. Therefore, if your program, if your coach is not viewed as being disproportionately negatively impacted, there's not going to be an excuse built in, COVID or not. Well, here we are. Malzahn could be 0-4 right now. They're very lucky to be 2-2. Two and two. But there is no disproportionate victimhood at Auburn relative to what Alabama's dealt with or South Carolina or Kentucky or anyone else. Everyone dealt with the same deck of cards. And so if you're struggling disproportionate to your competition, it's your fault. It's not COVID's fault. And this is not me talking. That's just general sentiment, which I agree with. But I told you, I told you, I told you. I, I don't get to say that a lot. So I love when I can say it. I told you it's not going to matter, is it? I've done a lot of talking with Auburn folks this past couple of weeks, and really this week in particular. I've read a lot of Auburn boards and a lot of writing, and let me tell you what I have not heard one person say. Well, guys, let's let's tamp down the criticism. Let's remember what we were saying two months ago. No one cares. No one cares. So we thought that something was going to come along. Obviously, it happens every year, and that some program was going to underachieve, and so Auburn's one of them. I don't think they're done losing. Auburn's one of them, but let me tell you, I do not believe, as we sit here, again, today is, what, uh, October 20th, as you're listening to it, I don't believe we're in a situation where Gus Malzahn's about to be fired. I don't believe that. I could be wrong, have been wrong before. Usually spot on when we're talking about Auburn, though, I don't believe he's going anywhere. Uh, you can like that or not, I don't believe he's going anywhere. Oh, here's a good one I think we can wrap on this morning. Andrew asked a question that everyone has an answer to. So you'll have an answer to it as well. I'm going to ask the question and I'm going to leave like a, a three second gap. Okay. Just dead air, which they teach you never to do in broadcasting school. I'm going to do it this morning because I didn't take podcasting school. So wild west here. Andrew asks a question. I'm going to leave you a few seconds to come up with your answer. I'll tell you my answer. He said, I'm only a recent lover of college football. So can you explain to me why Urban Meyer left Florida for Ohio State? I know that during that time, the Saban era at Alabama had begun, therefore stiff opposition to the college football playoff. But to me, it's like an alpha head coach such as Urban wouldn't run. He would welcome competition, wouldn't he? What went into him leaving? Three, two, one. Not quite dead air. Andrew, depends on who you ask, man. I've got my theories, but let me tell you what the official diagnosis was. Urban had health issues. He had to take time away from the sport. That was the reason given. I am not a doctor. I did not see his medicals. I cannot confirm nor deny. All I know is he was immediately on TV and then shortly thereafter took the job at Ohio State. What I believe was a far greater contributing factor is I think he built Florida's foundation on sand, to use a biblical metaphor. I don't think it was sustainable. I think a lot of corners were cut in order to gain instant success, and they got it down there. They got it. It started with, well, him being hired, and then shortly thereafter, they won a big recruiting battle, one of the biggest in modern history. It was Tim Tebow. He came down to Florida and Bama. He committed to Florida. Rest is history for both of those programs, as it turns out. They both love the direction their programs went after that. So Urban won a couple of national titles, and they were instant contenders, built an incredible roster talent-wise. Uh, the inner wiring left a little to be desired. You can look at what happened to those guys there and what's happened since then. And so it wasn't exactly the most high-character group of individuals, but they won, and that's what he was hired to do. And they won. But because some corners were cut in that department, I don't think it was sustainable. And you saw the end result. So he walked away, and then he came back and took the Ohio State job, and I think he implemented a lot of lessons and new principles based on lessons that he learned at Florida, and they were better for it at Ohio State. 
In the meantime, Nick Saban had walked into that conference, like you mentioned, in 2007. In 08, he and Alabama faced Florida in the SEC title game. Florida won that thing 31-20. Alabama led at the end of three. Tebow led a comeback. They won. The next year, Alabama dominated Florida. They had a rematch in the SEC title game. That date is where it started to go downhill. I've heard him talk about that team. I've heard him talk about the interdynamics and how it just wasn't there the next year. He's not the only one who's ever dealt with that. 2010, he took that team to Alabama. They got dominated again. Shortly thereafter, he was out of the league. So if it looks like Saban chased him off, I don't think that's unfair to say. I certainly believe there was a lot more to it. Don't get me wrong. But when people say Saban chased Urban Meyer off, what I take that to mean, whether they mean it this way or not, is had Saban not walked in the door, Urban would have lasted a lot longer at Florida. I don't disagree with that. So what does that mean today? Because Urban Meyer is still a topic of conversation in, say, Austin, Texas today. And by the way, I think there is interest there. I don't know anything. I don't have inside information. Don't think I do. But I think there's interest there. So I was doing a podcast earlier. Someone asked me, hey, what do you think? What are, what are the odds with Urban? They thought I was going to say nil. And I had to say, it's, it's a non-zero chance. Say that in the meteorological community all the time. It's a non-zero chance. In fact, I think it's much better than a 1% chance. I think it's there. You've got a head coach there right now in Tom Herman. But if they let me tell you something. If they let Tom Herman go, they know something. They've already been indicated or been given indication that they can get something done, whether it be with Urban or whether they've ended up using him as a smokescreen to hide who they're really going after. I think there is a chance there. So good Urban Meyer stories are a good Urban Meyer question. And listen, if you ask one person, they'll give you a different story than the next guy will, than the next guy will, and the next guy will. But that's a good start to the morning. Really good. Hope that supplemented your coffee and your caffeine. I drank a lot as I recorded this. And so that hopefully it provides you with enough energy and you don't have to. I am Josh Pate. This has been the Late Kick Extra podcast. Remember, subscribe if you haven't already here and at the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. Leave us a five-star review here in the podcast review section on Apple. And we really appreciate you listening. If you are so inclined, check out Late Kick Live later tonight as we're talking Tuesday. Got a lot of game previews. Got a lot of game predictions coming up. Tuesday night is prediction night for us. So we're looking forward to that. For Jordan and for Tanya on the podcast production side of things, again, I am Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening, and have yourselves a great day. CBS Friday, TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.